Thank you, Todd and team. <laughs> They'll be back next week. They're feeling a lot, lot better, so that uh, they should be back next week. Good to go. The kids can head out to Children's Church. Anybody want to head out to uh, make your escape? It's great to everybody here worshiping, whether you're live or live stream. I know a lot of people are live streaming. Whether you're live, live stream, it's great to everybody here. And uh, my name is Chuck Wilson, in case I didn't get a chance to say hi yet. So uh, it's great to have you all here worshiping with us. And if you uh, want to turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 7, we have it up. Well, we have it up on the screens also, but if you have a Bible and you want to turn to it, uh, if you grabbed one of the green Bibles on the way in, it's page 913, okay? And I'll do my best to read. I'm, I'm getting close. I'm seeing the eye doctor tomorrow. Pray for me because I may get my other eye scheduled. Uh, so I'm getting close. Then I'll be able to read because, like, I tell everybody right now, I, I, you're, you're close, you're far. You're close, you're far. One eye, they're, they're both doing different things for the last six months. So anyway... <laughs> Uh, it's like being on a, a, a merry-go-round. That's what it feels like sometimes. The eyes trying to battle each other. But, but I'm going to see the doctor tomorrow, so pray for me that I'll get the other one scheduled quickly, less than six months away. All right, so, uh, so we're in the book of Acts and how to live. We're talking about in Acts as we've been working through Acts. If you haven't heard something, you've missed something, you can always go on our website and follow along. And also, uh, just FY for live stream. Now we're on YouTube and Facebook live streaming in both locations. If you ever want to get connected, just FYI, Rob's got us. Rob's doing a great job getting us connected all over the place. So thank you, Rob, for that. But the book of Acts is how to live in victory no matter what we're facing in our life. How to live in victory no matter what. And that's through faith in Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Faith in Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, how we can live by how we can live in victory no matter what, no matter what we are hit with. And this is what we keep seeing in the book of Acts. No matter what we are hit with, we can live in the Holy Spirit's power. We can still accomplish God's purpose. God can still accomplish his purpose in and through our life. We can still accomplish his purpose and glorify him no matter what we are going through. We can still do that. Maybe maybe you're sick. Maybe we have sickness. Maybe it's a cancer. Maybe we have a loss. We lost a loved one. Maybe our job, uh, we've been fired from our job because we wouldn't drink the Kool-Aid. Maybe, maybe you're a Christian in Afghanistan and you're being hunted door to door, right? They're actually fleeing to the hills. Uh, I'll talk more about that next week. It's going to fit even better with next week's sermon. <clears throat> no matter what we are facing in our life. Maybe we have a prodigal. You, you fill in the dot. You fill in the blanks, right? You connect the dots. We can still accomplish God's purpose and glorify him through our life by living by the Holy Spirit's power. And the Holy Spirit has given us an incredible proof of what I'm saying here in Acts chapter 7, where we're going to see the stoning of Stephen, the stoning of Stephen, and how, specifically how to respond when stones are thrown. How to react when the stones start flying, right? Let's, uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you for bringing each person here, whether they're here in this building or whether they're watching this. We know that we're tuned in for a reason, that your Holy Spirit wants to do something in and through us. We ask your Holy Spirit to do that. And I pray that if anybody has never put their faith in Jesus Christ, that they would take that step of faith today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Okay, so Stephen, we saw last time, Stephen took a stand, right? He takes, took a stand for Jesus. He was seized by the authorities. And what does he do next? He took a stand for Jesus. He's seized by the authorities in a lot of trouble. He's on trial, basically. And what does he do next? Well, he preaches a sermon, of course. That's what he does. Uh, let's look at his sermon. Now, I know there's a lot of verses here, but I'm just going to... The, 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 most of... Uh, Acts 7 here, I'm just going to read because it's really a a history lesson, a biblical history lesson that Stephen gives them. Then the high priest asked him, verse 1, are these charges true? To this he replied, brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. So he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. After the death of his father, God sent him to this land where you are now living. He gave him no inheritance here, not even a foot of ground. But God promised him that he and his descendants after him would possess the land, even though at that time Abraham had no child. God spoke this to him in this way. Your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years, but I will punish the nation that they serve as slaves. God said, and afterward they will come out of that country and worship me in this place. Then he gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision, and Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him eight days after his birth. Later Isaac became the father of Jacob, and Jacob became the father of the 12 patriarchs. Because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph, they sold him as a slave in Egypt, but God was with him and rescued him from all his troubles. He gave Joseph wisdom and enabled him to gain the goodwill of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So he made him ruler over Egypt and all his palace. Then a famine struck and all Egypt and Canaan uh, struck all Egypt and Canaan, bringing great suffering, and our fathers could not find food. When Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt. He sent our fathers on their first visit. On their second visit, Joseph told his brothers who he was, and Pharaoh learned about Joseph's family. After this, Joseph sent for his father, Jacob, and his whole family, 75 in all. Then Jacob went down to Egypt, where he and his, our fathers died. Their bodies were brought back to Shechem and placed in the tomb that Abram had brought had bought from the sons of Hamar at Shechem for a certain sum of money." As the time drew near for God to fulfill his promise to Abraham, the number of our people in Egypt greatly increased. Then another king who knew nothing about Joseph became ruler of Egypt. He dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our forefathers by forcing them to throw out their newborn babies so they would die. At that time, Moses was born and he was no ordinary child for three months He was cared for in his father's house. When he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up as her own son. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his fellow Israelites. He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian, so he went to his defense and he avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. The next day, Moses came upon two Israelites who were fighting. He tried to reconcile them by saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you want to harm each other? But the man who was mistreating the other pushed Moses aside and said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? 
When Moses heard this, he fled to Midian, where he settled as a foreigner and had two sons. After 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to Moses in the flames of a burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai. When he saw him, he was amazed at the sight. As he went over to look more closely, he heard the Lord's voice. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Moses trembled with fear and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, take off your sandals. The place you are standing is holy ground. I have indeed seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their groaning and have come down to set them free. Now come, I will send you back to Egypt. This is the same Moses whom they had rejected with the words, who made you ruler and judge. He was sent to be their ruler and deliverer by God himself through the angel who appeared to him in the bush. He led them out of Egypt and did wonders and miraculous signs in Egypt at the Red Sea and for 40 years in the desert. This is the Moses who told the Israelites, God will send you a prophet like me from your own people. He was in the assembly in the desert with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our fathers. And he received living words to pass on to us. But our fathers refused to obey him. Instead, they rejected him and in their hearts turned back to Egypt. They told Aaron, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who led us out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. That was the time they made an idol in the form of a calf. They brought sacrifices to it and held a celebration and honor of what their hands had made. But God turned away and gave them over to the worship of the heavenly bodies This agrees with what was written in the book of the prophets. Did you bring me sacrifices and offerings 40 years in the desert, O house of Israel? You have lifted up the shrine of Moloch and the star of your god, Rephan, the idols you made to worship. Therefore, I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Our forefathers had the tabernacle of the testimony with them in the desert. It had been as God directed Moses according to the pattern he had seen having received the tabernacle our fathers under Joshua brought it with them when they took the land from the nations God drove out before them it remains in the land until the time of David who enjoyed God's favor and asked that he might provide a dwelling place for the God of Jacob but it was Solomon who made the house for him however the most high does not live in houses made by men as the prophet says Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? Woo. So no notes, no notes. Stephen preaches this sermon to, to the, 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 uh, the leaders there, the religious leaders. He's preaching this sermon, the ones who have arrested him. Uh, this guy knew the Bible. He knew God's word. This deacon, deacon, uh, Stephen knew the God's word unbelievably. He gives a historical picture of, the, of Israel from A to Z all the way up to uh, up to this time. He gives this historical lesson to them. And and he is also gives an, uh, an update and he connects the dots to their disobedience and to their idolatry and to their apostasy. He's given the history and showing how they turned away from God. And so far, so good. The religious leaders are all sitting there nodding their head, you know, yeah, okay, good. Yeah, you got it right. They knew the God's word, right? And then Stephen goes from the 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 historical sermon to application. He now jumps from the book to the look. 
He goes from the, the Bible and the, 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 you know, the, the Bible, and then he jumps it to applying it to their life. Let's see what he says here. Let's see what he says here. Uh, starting with verse 51. You, three times, you, you, you. Remember that? You have basketball games. You, you, you. Okay, here we go. You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears. You are just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was put into effect through the angels but have not obeyed it. Woo! He connects the dots from history to these guys' life. And he says, you, you, you. What is he doing? He had him in the palm of his hand. They were eating out of his, eating out of his hands, right? What is he doing here? He's breaking every rule they teach you in seminary. How to win friends and influence people, right? How to grow your church. He's breaking every rule here. What, what is he doing? He would never be allowed to speak at Willow Creeks, uh, one of their conferences to pastors, you know, seeker sensitive, you know. He would never be allowed at Willow Creek. What is he doing? Well, we know why. Well, let me ask this. Why did he say such mean things? Why? Well, you have to back up to chapter 6, verse 10, when we see what the Holy Spirit says about him. In verse 10, it says about Stephen, but they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. Who's speaking? The Holy Spirit is speaking through Stephen. The Holy Spirit is speaking through him. And the Holy Spirit is preaching a hard message through Stephen. Even though he's breaking all the preaching rules in the United USA today, the Holy Spirit is speaking through him. These, you see, these religious leaders had rejected Jesus Christ already. They already rejected him. They crucified him. And now that he is resurrected and the resurrection power has fallen upon the apostles, now they're persecuting his apostles. They reject Jesus, crucify him, and now they're persecuting his apostles. And they were on the edge of a cliff of judgment. They were getting their last warning, their last warning before judgment falls upon them. Through the Holy Spirit speaking through the, uh, through the deacon Stephen. The last warning. You see, in times of apostasy, God sends prophetic warnings. Prophetic warnings. And they are not positive, feel-good messages. They are not, live your best life now. They are not that kind of message. That's not what God sends in times of apostasy. And the USA is in apostasy. Unbelievable. We are facing God's judgment. We would have to be spiritually blind not to connect the dots, right? Not to be able to see what God is warning is maybe even crossed the line with us already. We'd have to be spiritually blind. And still, most pastors in America, I know because study after study comes out, most pastors in America are still preaching careful sermons so that they won't upset anybody, so they won't lose anybody, so they won't lose any money. Or people from their church, they're preaching very, very careful. And I'm going to say this. Any pastor who is not preaching prophetically in the USA today is an unfaithful 
shepherd. Any pastor who is not warning his people about what is coming to the USA today is an unfaithful shepherd, and that's the majority of them out there. And their sheep are sitting ducks. They will never know what hit them. They will never know what hit them. Most Christians in the USA today are deceived. They're worldly. They're carnal. They're conformed. 6%, George Barnes study, 6% of Christians in the USA today have a biblical worldview. Only 6% of Americans have a biblical worldview. 6%. Think about that. I would say only 6% are born again then, are Christians. You need more proof? They just came out with a study this week. It hit, hit the, the headlines. Uh, 60, I'm going to read. 60% of born-again Christians under 40, 40 and under. That's not me. But 60%, under 40, say Jesus isn't the only way to heaven. Muhammad and Buddha also are valid paths to salvation. 60%, 40 and under, born-again Christians Believe there are many ways to God. You don't have to go through Jesus. Uh, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say they're not born again then. You can't be born again. Jesus said in John chapter 3, verse 7, you must be born again. John chapter 3, verse 7, Jesus said you must be born again. Born from above, the Greek literally means. How? John three sixteen. a few verses later. For God so loved the world that he gave his one, one and only, one and only son. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. We must believe in his one and only son. That's what we have to believe. And we must believe he is the one and only. Amen. Otherwise, you're putting your faith in a false Jesus that you've created in your own. It's not build a bear, build a Jesus. No, no, this is, this is, this is it. But a lot of people do that. They have their, invented their own Jesus and their own way of salvation. You, you have to, you, we have to put our faith in the one and only Jesus, and we have to believe he is the one and only way to the Father. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Amen. The only way you can truly be born again is you have to know he's the one and only way. Jesus, the one and only Son, and you have put your faith in him, your trust in him. You've said, God, I believe Jesus is my only hope. I repent of my sin, all the garbage and shame in my life. I turn away from that. I put my faith and trust in Jesus alone to get right with you, God. To get life now and forever with you. That is the only way. The only way. Stephen preached a very tough sermon in the spirit. And look what happens to him. Most you already know what happens to him. Look what happens to him. Verse 54. Back to Acts. Verse 54, when they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, there it is again. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, 
I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears, yelling at the top of their voices, and they all rushed at him. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep, and Saul was there giving approval to his death. We'll get to Saul later in a few few weeks. Wow. If we preach faithfully or witness faithfully in the USA today, we will be attacked. We will be attacked. It's impossible to be popular with the world as a Christian, a true, born-again, Bible-believing Christian. It's impossible to be popular. You're going to be attacked by the world. You're going to be attacked by the doctor reverends out there, even reverends. And most painful of all, we get attacked by even our own church folks if we preach faithfully. Even some close friends. I... Over the last 20 years of this church here, I've lost some very, very close friends. They were fine with me until I, until we had to connect the dots to their life. There was something in their life that they had fallen into, clearly clear Bible teaching, and, and I had to admonish them, speak the truth in love, and, and lost them because, it, because when the Word makes people uncomfortable, many times instead of submitting to the Word, they just, out of here. Scary, sad stories. If you take a stand for Jesus Christ, if you witness for Jesus Christ, if you speak the truth in love, you better be ready to duck. You better be ready to duck because the stones will start flying. The stones will start flying. And when the stones start flying, and this is what I really want to hit today, Stephen shows us how to respond to that. He shows us how to respond. Look at verse 55. The first thing he teaches us, he says, uh, But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. What is our lesson here? Keep our eyes on Jesus in heaven. Keep our eyes on Jesus in heaven, not the stones, not the stoners, but keep our eyes on Jesus in heaven. That is the key. And it's hard to do, isn't it? Isn't it hard to do when the stones start flying? Isn't it hard to do when the attacks start coming? It's hard. I don't know if you followed the news uh, this you know, last week, but Antifa headline, Antifa assaults families and children at Christian Prairie event in Portland Park. I don't know if you've been following that. One video recorded the scene showed children and families running away as black-clad Antifa militants tore apart the sound equipment and assaulted the attendees with pepper spray and, and projectiles. That's bottles and rocks. All right? I don't know if you've followed that. Uh, and one of you can hear one on the video. You can watch the video if it's still up. Uh, where is your God now? An Antifa member can be heard shouting in the video. uh, It says here at the end, Portland Police Department did not make any arrests. Shocker, 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 right? We're all shocked. We're all shocked. All right. 
it's hard. It's hard, isn't it? But when the attacks come, keep our eyes on Jesus. Keep our eyes on heaven. What has happened with all this craziness going on? God is weaning us off of earth, right? He's weaning our focus off of this earth and this world, and he wants us to focus on him in heaven. That is what God is doing. Isn't that what happened last year and a half already for so many of us? We're, we're getting tired of this whole thing down here. We're getting tired of this world. We're starting to look forward to heaven a little bit more, right? Uh, so, but that is the key. Is, is the key. And, and Stephen kept his eyes on Jesus. And look what he saw. He saw Jesus standing next to the Father. Does anything sound strange to you with that statement? What? He's always seated. Yes. Jesus is always seated next to the Father. This is the only time we see Jesus standing. Why? Why? Why is he standing? He stood up to welcome Stephen. into heaven think about that when we take a stand for Jesus he will stand up for us for everyone every Stephen he will stand to welcome us into heaven And he will stand for us even while we're here battling out. He will stand for us and he'll stand to welcome us. Amazing, isn't it? Keep our eyes on Jesus when we're taking that stand, when we're facing the stones. And and then verse 59, another key to what we have to do, what Stephen also did. He says, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Receive my spirit. We need to do the same thing. We need to surrender our lives to Jesus Christ. Surrendering our life to his will, to his purpose, for his glory. And let's say that again, to his will, to his purpose, to what will glorify him. We have to surrender to that. Stephen was being stoned and killed. He surrendered to that. He knew that was what God wanted for his life. We have, to, we have to take that same stand for him. I was re- Voice of the Martyrs, I read all their books and magazines. If you don't read Voice of the Martyrs, you're missing out on a lot. But I was reading about this one guy. He was, a, uh, he was a, in Russia, 1933. And, and he was there and there was when there were brutal persecutions of Christians at that time. Still a lot going on, but but that time really, really brutal. And and a young man came to the pastor and he said, I feel God leading me to go to Siberia. I'm not going to try to pronounce his name, but he said, I'm going to go. I feel like I'm led to go to Siberia and preach. And this is where they sent all the political dissidents and religious, you know, uh, persecuted people. They sent them to Siberia to suffer in the cold there. He said, I feel led to go there and preach there. He's not being sent there by the government. He was going voluntarily to preach there. And he also heard that there was a. Uh, there was a lot of debates going on in Siberia because they were trying to brainwash the, the people there. And he went to a, 
uh, he, on arrival in Sevier, I'm just going to read this. They, he heard the atheists were arranging a series of anti-religious debates. I will go there and defend the faith, he immediately responded. For three nights, he spoke with such eloquence that he was frequently interrupted by applause. At the end of the debates, he was given an ovation. The next day, an atheist visited... This is going badly, right? They're doing these debates to show how Jesus isn't true, and it's going the other way, right? The next day, uh, the atheist visited his landlady. Tell... I was, I was arsony, not to come to any more to our debates. Otherwise, something will happen to him. Don't come to the debates, right? You know, tolerance. You know, anyway, we'll go there. The, uh, the landlord, landlady informed the preacher early the next morning. He listened gravely, and then he said, whatever may happen, I will go to the debates and will fulfill my duty. Eyewitnesses reported that he spoke with special power that night, and his face shone like that of an angel. Remind you of anybody? The audience gave him a resounding ovation as the debates closed. When the applause died down, three young men came and took him away. The next morning, Christian brothers found him dead in the snow near the railway station, they noted that he was half kneeling position with his New Testament in his hands. He had been shot while praying. That's the surrendered life. He knew it was coming. That's the surrendered life. Surrendering our life to God's purpose, his glory. And then, and this is even the hardest one. The last one is the hardest. Verse 60 then he fell, Stephen, then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. Notice he fell asleep, first of all. In the New Testament, Christians don't die. They fall asleep. If you're not a Christian, you die. But Christians don't die. We, today, we don't die as Christians. What do we do? We fall asleep. And what do you do after you fall asleep? You wake up. That's why we don't fear death. That's why we don't fear all this craziness going on in the world. We don't fear it. We still live for Jesus Christ and we focus on Jesus Christ. But the thing there I want to point out what he did is, is be, he, what he said, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Where would he get such a crazy prayer from? Oh, that Jesus guy, right? Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Remember on the cross, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Love your enemies. Because 8.1 says, And Saul was there giving approval to his death. Why should we love them? Because one of them might be taking your place. You see those stories over and over in Voice of the Martyrs. Somebody witnessing in a prison and then they're killed. But before they die, a prison guard converts to Christ and carries the torch. There's so many stories of God using. And not just dying, but people being persecuted and people coming to faith because of that. The, the one, the, your death might be passing the torch. Your perse being persecuted might be preparing someone else, one of your persecutors to step forward. And this is really, really tough, isn't it? Really tough. But remember 
Remember Jesus. 1 Timothy 2.23 When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He entrusted himself to the Father. And that's what we're called to do. Now, this raises some tricky questions. Can we defend ourselves? Christians ask me that all the time. Can we defend ourselves? Well, I usually say this. If someone's breaking into your house to steal something or to harm your family, yeah, I think you can defend yourself. Whatever you got to do. But if we're being attacked for our faith, I'm not so quick to say that. If we're being attacked for our faith. But, but what if our... I know people are wrestling with us, asking me, what if our government turns wicked? What if it were to turn wicked? I know that's hard to imagine. When it turns wicked, should we resist? Should we resist? And I say, listen, as a citizen, you can resist, but not as a Christian. You can't say, well, our Christian church is going to, you know, resist as a Christian church or, or evangelicals for, you know, the revolution. You know, that we, that we, you know, that's a whole other thing. If our government, what we see in biblically is if our government persecutes us for our faith, I believe we are called to take it and trust God. First Peter 2.23. Look what Jesus did. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. That, if we're attacked for our faith, I believe that's what we, how we have to respond. Based on Stephen, based on Jesus, that's how we have to respond. Roman persecutions went on for hundreds of years. Hundreds of years. And yet there was not one record of an armed resistance by the Christians in all those hundreds of years. And they still conquered Rome. The Christians still conquered Rome. Not one record of armed resistance. We must trust God and his purpose. We have to trust God and his purpose and the powerful witness that our suffering, our persecution, our martyrdom is is a powerful witness. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Church fathers quoted that over and over. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. How is God speaking to us? How is the Holy Spirit leading us? How is the Holy Spirit preparing us? Because we are called to take a stand for Jesus Christ, aren't we? We're called and, and, when, and, and to take it. We're called to take a stand for Jesus and to take it when the stones start flying because of our faith. Some are here today. I believe there's some here today watching, listening to this. I believe some of you, some of us may be called to be a Stephen. It's coming quickly. I believe we're called to that. And maybe the Holy Spirit is showing us today that we have fleshly anger. That our response to our spiritual enemies can be very fleshly. Nobody here, but you might know someone like that. (laughs) Just want to get those guys, right? Maybe the Holy Spirit's showing us that. Will we keep our eyes on Jesus? Will we surrender our lives? Will we love and pray for those who persecute us because of our faith? Will we love and pray for them? 
Will we look at each of them as a potential Saul, Paul? Saul was the Apostle Paul, became the Apostle Paul. Will we look at them as not Saul's, but as potential Paul's, as someone that God is is, going to call? And maybe you are hearing what I'm saying, maybe you're watching what I'm saying, maybe you're listening to what I'm saying, and you say, wait, I'm a Saul. I'm a Saul. I'm still an enemy of God. If you've never put your faith in God's one and only Son, understand something. You are an enemy of God. Every one of us was once an enemy of God. That's right, enemy. We hate God in the flesh. Our sin separates us from God. It separates us from God's love. But God's love has opened a door for every person here or wherever you are. In Romans 5, 8, it says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God loved us so much that while we were still sinners, while we still were his enemy. In fact, that's what it says. Look at verse 9. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? We were God's enemies. It's when we hated God that God sent his son Jesus to be murdered by us, to be crucified by us. We did it. It was our sin, every one of us. God has made a way. He's opened the door. And you can go, maybe you're God's enemy today. You didn't even realize it, but now you realize that you are God's enemy, but you can go to become, become his son or daughter right this very moment by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. Romans 10, 9 and 10, go a few chapters ahead, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For as with a heart you believe and are justified, as with your mouth that you confess and are saved. The moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are saved. You are no longer God's enemy. You have a brand new life now and forever. Let's pray. As we go to this time of prayer, maybe the Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now, convicting your heart. Maybe your eyes have been opened. Maybe your heart has been opened for the first time that you are actually God's enemy. His enemy. Our sin. For all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. Our sin separates us from a holy, just God for for all of eternity. But God made a way. His one, for he loved us so much, he gave his one and only son to die on a cross to take our punishment, to take our place, to take the penalty of the law on himself. And we can be forgiven by putting our faith in Jesus, our trust in Jesus. The simple but powerful prayer of faith in God's word. God, I ask you to forgive my sin. I repent. I turn away from that sin. I ask you to forgive me.
Because I'm putting my faith, my trust, my hope in your one and only Son, Jesus. Forgive me because I'm putting my faith in Jesus. I give my life to Him. If you have prayed that prayer of faith, something amazing has just happened. You just went from being God's enemy to his child, to his son, his daughter, to his friend. And your life will never be the same. The Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that spoke through Stephen is now inside of you transforming you to be like Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And if you have prayed that prayer of faith, given your life to Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you to tell somebody today. Maybe you have a family member or a friend you could tell. Maybe if you're here, you can tell me on the way out. Tell somebody. Let somebody know so that we can be excited for you and help you grow in your new faith, your new life in Jesus Christ. You're in for the shock of your life. You'll never be the same. For those of us who are already Christians, how is the Holy Spirit speaking to us? Maybe we haven't been loving our enemy. If you're like me, you've probably been too mad at them half the time. can't believe these people but will we shift gears change the channel and say God I'm going to love them I may not like what they're saying but I'm going to love them maybe we have to change our focus from this earth to or from the news to heaven and Jesus focusing on Jesus Maybe it's surrender. Maybe we've been hanging on with our, by the skin of our teeth, hanging on to this life and hanging on to what we want to do. But the Holy Spirit's been convicting us and leading us to surrender in some way. Father, I pray that every one of us would be a Stephen. We would have the Holy Spirit's power. We would live in victory no matter what happens. We would live in victory. I pray that you would be able to stand up for every one of us as we take stands for you. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.